Thank you, guys. Love that song. I just recently, in mid-October, had the privilege of preaching, preaching a missions conference, and, and that particular song was the theme. So a little time, and every night we, we sang that song together. Love that song and the message of that song. And I, I think really, as we, we look, so little time, uh, so little time, this harvest will be over. So little time with which to win souls uh, unto the Lord. And uh, how, how we need to be faithful and as mentioned Brother Charles, pray for divine appointments that God would uh, just allow and bring into your life uh, people that you can minister to through the Word of God. Uh, Hebrews 13, let's stand if you're able uh, tonight as we read together a portion of the Word of God. Hebrews 13, uh, let's begin here verse number 1 and uh, we'll bring us through verse number 6 uh, this evening. Hebrews 13, verse number 1, Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in body. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Here's our focus this evening. Let your conversation be without covetousness, And be content with such things as you have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And uh, this thought here tonight, uh, beware of of covetousness. Um, uh, After I shared uh, what I was going to be preaching tonight, I I was sent this text uh, here this afternoon. It's really good. goes right along with what we're going to to be speaking about. Uh, P.T. Barnum made the statement, money is a very excellent servant, but a terrible master. Money is a very excellent servant, but a terrible master. And uh, that's so applicable to what we're going to be speaking about here this evening. If you'll join me, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I appreciate, I do not take lightly your faithfulness, your presence here Uh, Just time after time after time, thank you for being faithful to the things of God. Father, we pray here tonight uh, that you would challenge our heart through your word. And and Lord, just in an unstable world, how important it is that our trust not be in the material possessions of this world. They can be taken away from us. And and you tell us that we're not to lay up treasures for ourselves here upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and still, but... We're to lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And Lord, help us to lay up uh, that treasure which can never uh, never be taken away, that treasure which would never fade. Uh, Lord, have your way, we pray this evening in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And you may be seated uh, here this evening. Uh, I I want us to to go back uh, very quickly to this thought, Hebrews chapter 12. As you notice in verse number 1, this uh, section of Scripture is dealing with this fact, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And uh, God has given to each of us a race to run. We're to run that race with patience. That word patience has to do with endurance, uh, just continuing to do what we know God has called us to do. And, and really true faith is, is going to be uh, serving the Lord regardless of circumstances, regardless of consequences, just being faithful uh, to the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now last uh, Sunday morning we, we picked up here in chapter 13 and uh, just some practical guidelines to help us succeed in our race, especially during times of shaking. Kind of the background is, is the Hebrew Christians were being shaken 
things happening, difficulties taking place in their life. Uh, it's kind of what's happening across America, what's happening across the world today. There's a shaking uh, that's happening. And uh, regardless of what happens around us, our duty to the Lord does not change. We're to be faithful uh, to God and faithful to the things of God. So last week we, we picked up our Christian duty and we went through these uh, verses. So you'll notice again in verse number one, our duty to Christian love. Uh, here the word of God says, let brotherly love continue. No matter what happens about us, uh, we have this duty to Christian love. And John 13, 34 and 35, the new commandment, I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another and then Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. And no matter what happens about us, the Bible teaches that love never fails. We still have a duty uh, to love one another within the local church and to love the lost. And when one is, is born again, uh, the love of Jesus, the love of Christ lives in that heart. And the love of Jesus will transform that life. That love is to shine through the life of a saved person. And that love is to reach out and to touch others. First uh, John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And uh, one of the evidences of a truly saved person is that the love of Christ lives and shines through that life. The Lord transforms a heart. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Uh, there's such a difference in the life of one who's truly saved as compared to the life of one who does not know Christ as Savior. And so a relationship with Christ changes the way that you love. Uh, a lost world ought to see a difference in the life of a Christian. So we spent some time dealing with that thought. Verse number two is our duty to Christian hospitality. Uh, true love reveals itself in Christian hospitality. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Uh, an elder, the Bible teaches, we spoke about preachers this morning. An elder is to uh, be given to hospitality. And here the Bible speaks of, of hospitality as an entertainment of strangers or guests without regard of reward. I heard this testimony uh, several years ago now. It was actually at, at our, our Christian school training. Um, but a uh, true story about a woman at a grocery store. And I think it was the pastor of this woman that gave this testimony. A woman at a grocery store. Uh, she saw, saw an elder, elderly couple. They had uh, groceries they were seeking to load into their car. Uh, she did not know them. They were strangers to her. But she noticed they were struggling. So this woman went to the elderly couple, introduced herself and asked and offered help and loaded the groceries into their car. And then she asked about the possibility, can I follow you to your house and help you to unload the groceries in your home? And they agreed to this. And so the woman followed and took the groceries into the home. And uh, one thing led to another. They developed a friendship, a relationship. And this woman had the opportunity after some time to lead this elderly couple to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the elderly couple followed the Lord in baptism, became an important part of that church, began to serve the Lord through that church, and God just transformed their life. And, and then upon their, their passing, their homegoing, 
this elderly couple left a large sum of money that nobody even knew that they had, but left this large sum of money uh, to this Baptist church, and this Baptist church with that money was able to uh, build a new building, a new facility uh, that God provided simply because a woman entertained strangers unaware. And you never know as you reach out the love of Christ, reaching out through you, making a difference in the lives of others. Uh, verse number three, our duty to Christian sympathy. Uh, remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Uh, the Bible teaches that we're to rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. And as the world becomes very difficult, I'm thoroughly convinced if the Lord tarries His coming, going to be a multitude of Christians, maybe many of you, uh, that will suffer persecution for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it's going to be very important if that takes place that you identify with those that suffer for the Lord. And maybe the news media and others will shame those that take a stand for Christ, but you identify with those that love Jesus Christ. See, the love of Jesus ought to reach through us to minister to those in difficult circumstances. I want to read Matthew 25, verses 34 through 36. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was unhungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. And the Lord is describing those that received the reward. And of course, in the context of Matthew 25, he's speaking about entering into that millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, many of you have read the story, The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom, her family, who ministered to the Jews that were being uh, forced into concentration camps by the German uh, government. And uh, her family, Corrie ten Boom family, housed Jews in Amsterdam, Netherlands, though it was against the law. And they identified with them, they protected them, they housed them, and came to the point they themselves, their family, uh, was arrested and themselves placed into a concentration camp, though they were not Jews, they were Christians, but they harbored the Jews and cared for them. And I believe this is the principle that God has given to us, caring for those who are facing and suffering maybe persecution, difficult teams, maybe sickness, different aspects in their life. We're to minister to them in Christian sympathy. Uh, in verse number four, our duty to Christian purity. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. This is a message so needed in America today. Uh, a godly marriage is a blessed thing. And the sexual relationship within the walls of marriage is precious. It's ordained of God. It's blessed of God. But taken outside the marriage, it leads to the judgment of God. And God cannot and will not bless a Christian involved in fornication, involved in adultery. Many a Christian has been derailed in their walk with God. And friends, there, there are going to be difficult things possibly in the future. Uh, but the principles of God's word never change. And many, many a godly person has been derailed. We read of Samson and David and Solomon. On we could read about in the word of God. And so very important to put the guards up. And God gives this strong warning. And in a day of, of sexual permissiveness, sexual impurity... 
One that desires the blessings of God has to rise above this and be different, to be like Daniel who purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat and must be like Joseph and though facing the temptation of Potiphar's wife, rejected that temptation because he belonged to the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's looking for some soldiers who today will be different. Now verse number five, we dealt with this last Sunday morning, but I want to build upon this a little bit here tonight. Verse number five speaks of our duty to Christian contentment. And he tells us, let your conversation, this is your manner of life, let your conversation, your life, be without covetousness. and Be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And how many a Christian has lost the focus of their race through covetousness, the pursuit of things, the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of possessions, positions, a power, and on it would go. Uh, many years ago, I had the privilege of hearing the personal testimony of a, a man named Rachunga Padaiti. Uh, he was from a tribe in India. When he was a little boy, missionary came to that tribe. His father and many of his family members, many of that tribe were converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Rachunga, his tribe had no Bible. And Rachunga, as a, as a little boy, having just been saved, uh, determined that he would seek an education so that he could gain a knowledge of Hebrew and Greek and so that he could translate the Bible into the native tongue of his people. And so he pursued that with his life and God uh, began to work mightily in his life and gave his life to that purpose. But as he arrived at the age for college, an opportunity, a business opportunity, an opportunity for wealth came his way, almost derailed his vision. God had to take him through some circumstances, convicted him. He confessed that, got that right, and, and eventually went off to, to college, gained the education that he needed, uh, learned the languages that he needed, came back and translated the Bible into the language of his people and multitudes then through that translation came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So here's a, a principle. We must be careful uh, about this movement or this materialistic uh, philosophy and attitude. Very few people can handle wealth. Now, wealth is not bad. We're going to look at this tonight. Very few people can handle it, though. Because they, their focus is not upon the Lord. Very few people can handle power today without losing focus on God's plan for their life. I've known many servants of God uh, basically lost a vision for God because of covetousness and ended up out of the will of God for their life. Now tonight, uh, three words that we're going to look at, three words that will help us as we have the right focus with what God blesses us with. Let's look again, verse 5. The first word is covetousness. Let your conversation, as we mentioned, uh, that is the manner of life. Uh, let your conversation be without covetousness. Definition of covetousness is having or showing too much desire for wealth, for possessions, for something belonging to another person. Uh, Colossians 3 kind of helps us with that definition. Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2 speaks to save people. If ye then being risen with Christ, seek those things which are above 
where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. And then in Colossians 3, verse number 5, the Bible tells us to mortify or put to death, therefore, your members upon the earth. And there in verse number 5, God lists out several different things that we are to put to death. And then at the end of that verse, he says, and covetousness, which is idolatry. What the Lord is expressing is when we have that heart of covetousness, it's the same as idolatry. Something takes the place of God in our life. Uh, we worship money or possessions or power, uh, a position in the place of God in our life. Now, we've mentioned this many times. The world of these Hebrew Christians uh, was being rocked. Uh, they had been cast out of Jerusalem. Uh, they were persecuted. Many of them lost jobs, family, houses, lands, possessions. God exhorted them to live their lives for eternity. Look in Hebrews 13 and verse number 14, he says, For here we have no continuing city. What the Lord is saying to us, Hebrews 13, verse 14, In this life, uh, we don't have anything that's going to continue. All of the possessions of this life, they're going to come to an end. Everything that you own, everything that you possess in this life, in reality, you don't possess it, you're just a steward of it. Uh, but all of the goods and things of this world are coming to an end. Here we have no continuing city. We've mentioned that Jerusalem was about to be annihilated. It was about to be destroyed. Uh, it would not continue. Uh, the temple and the worship of the temple was to be destroyed. Not one stone left upon another. Uh, here we have no continuing city, but look at this. We seek one to come. We're like Abraham. We look for a city whose builder and maker is God. Uh, we invest our lives into eternity. The world of many Christians may be rocked very soon and, and God is, is turning some things that our focus might be toward eternity, uh, toward that city that will never fade and never fail. Now the 10th commandment gives us strong guidance in Exodus 20 verse 17. It says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. So this is kind of a definition. We're not to put anything in our lives above God. I want to give you three scriptures that we're going to follow tonight to look at this danger of covetousness. Go with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Luke, chapter 12. We read in this passage of scripture about the rich man. Nothing again wrong with riches, but wealth becomes a horrible master. In Luke chapter 12, we'll pick up here in the middle of the chapter, verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed, and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. 
And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now we see in this context here that covetousness destroys relationships. And I've seen this through inheritances and various things. And uh, this man comes to Jesus, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And how many homes and marriages and jealousies and relationships have been affected by covetousness. I've, I've read of those that have won the lotteries and large amounts of money and uh, they were so happy when they won them but later they reported it was the most miserable thing that had ever happened in their life because it destroyed their home, destroyed their family, destroyed relationships. They could not handle the money. That's exactly what the Lord is expressing. Uh, covetousness not only destroyed relationships, but it destroyed the focus. The man of the parable lost sight of God. He lost sight of his soul, and he lost sight of eternity. He traded basically his life for all that he could possess in this life and uh, in those temporal things. And one night his soul or his life came to an end. This night shall thy soul be required of thee. Go with me a, another passage, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, again, the warning of covetousness, the danger of covetousness. 1 Timothy chapter 6. As Paul writes to Timothy, his preacher boy. In verse number 6, we read, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. How true that statement is. I've been privileged to witness the birth of six of my children. They did not even bring with them a diaper. Daddy had to buy diapers for them. They did not bring a single thread of clothing with them as they came into this world. And so it is, as we're born into this world, so it will be when we go to eternity. We will take nothing with us from this life. Uh, verse number 8, having food and raiment, let us therewith or be therewith content. But they that will be rich, <coughs> excuse me, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. <coughs> For the love of money, is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. He mentions here in verse number 9, they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Uh, let, me, let me just give you some of the snares. Uh, the snare of debt. Uh, new cars. One of the worst debts that you can get is, is, a, is a new car. And you lose the value as, as soon as you take it off of the lot. And a lot of, lot of uh, times, uh, uh, even Christians get themselves 
with all the things and the toys and uh, they enter into marriage and suddenly with their marriage they want uh, what their grandparents have spent their entire life earning and gaining and they want all of that wealth and they want it immediately and then they soon come into the bondage of, of that debt and uh, I knew a woman that maxed out uh, 10 credit cards and couldn't even pay the monthly minimum payment due uh, in, on those credit cards and just the snare of that debt and that constant pressure of that debt. And I, I would encourage you uh, just to, to seek not to be in debt. Debt will bind you. It, it will cost you. It will come to the point that it will snowball upon you and uh, build your life. Uh, apart, uh, apart from that, uh, the snare of bribery. Uh, many, because of debt, then are bought. And how many politicians and newscasters and lawyers and judges and preachers today are bought, bribed by money and extreme levels of corruption come out of all that bribery and uh, people looking for pride and position and prominence and so they're bought and uh, no longer able to do what's right uh, because they belong to somebody else and uh, the snare of misplaced affections you'll notice in verse number 10 the love of money is the root of all evil and uh, money is a tool uh, money is not evil itself. Money is like a hammer. It's, it's like a screwdriver. Uh, money can be used and uh, money can be something that, that, that can be a blessing uh, when used properly. But money is also can be a god. And money can be a horrible taskmaster. And many people belong to their money. They belong to that god. And uh, if you have the right focus, you can see yourself as a steward of all that God has blessed you with. It belongs to God, and you use that for the glory of God, and, and not for your own glory. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. And uh, uh, not for your own glory. All that you have is God's. You're God's steward of that. And how many owned or controlled by their possessions? God's intention is that we love Him. And that we use what he blesses us with to serve him from the depths of our hearts. It's one reason that, that tithing is so important. See, tithing will help you uh, to really put God first at a priority, to seek first the kingdom of God. That's it's one importance not only in tithing, but giving an offering unto the Lord, using what God has given to you to bless and serve him. Let's go to the book of Revelation. Here's a, another scripture, a third scripture, chapter number three. Here the, the Bible speaks to the church of Laodicea. And this uh, church of Laodicea uh, looks so much like churches across America today where materialism has become so prominent. In Revelation chapter three, verse 14, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans writes, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, uh, would thou wert cold or hot. Isn't that a description of so many Christians in America? So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, and notice this, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Here the Lord says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. 
And here the Lord says in verse 20 to this church of the Laodiceans, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him, will sup with him, and he with me. And, and very interesting, here's the Lord on the outside knocking, seeking to get in. And here is uh, this church. They're rich, they're increased, they're wealthy. Uh, they think they've got it made, but the Lord looks at the depths of their hearts and said, your wealth, your possessions have left you empty, blind, and miserable. And, and so here the wrong focus in their money. They'd grown lukewarm in the things of God. Now go back to Hebrews chapter 13, and it's no wonder that the Lord says to us, let your conversation be without covetousness, this desire for power, possessions, for things. Now look at a, a second word here, Hebrews chapter 13 tonight, verse number 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content. Contentment. Be content with such things as you have. Uh, contentment. It's a real challenge for our sinful hearts. You think about this. Throughout history, man has had a problem with contentment. Adam and Eve, they were not content. Had the Garden of Eden. Everything. A beautiful garden. Every need met. Fellowship with God. The Lord walked in the garden in the cool of the evening. All that they needed, but they wanted the one thing they couldn't have. Isn't that just like man? That which is forbidden, the one thing that you can't have, is the one thing that you want. Uh, you go into the nursery, you find one toy, and you put two kids, and both kids want that one toy. Uh, that one toy that they can't have, uh, that's the one that they want. Uh, Lot was not content. He had Abraham. He was there at Bethel, the house of God. Uh, had all of his needs met, and yet Lot was not content. He lifted up his eyes. He beheld the plains of Sodom and uh, he, of Zoar, and they were like the land of, of Egypt. And he pitched his tent towards Sodom, and, and then you find him in the house of Sodom or in the city of Sodom, and then you find him sitting in the gate of Sodom. He was not content with what he had, and he pursued those directions of the world to the destruction of his family. The children of Israel were not content. God provided manna from heaven. God gave water from the rock. Most of all, there was the very presence of God, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, but they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness. They murmured, they griped, and they complained. They wanted what they did not have. Uh, David was not content. He had the kingdom. He had power. Uh, he pursued Bathsheba to his hurt and to his shame. Uh, I want you to turn to, to the book of Philippians. Uh, let's start in chapter 3. Uh, Paul the Apostle, oh, what a precious soul. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul understood the need for contentment. See, sometimes we get things backward. Paul knew what was priority, and he knew what was not. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul says his heart in verse number 10, this is my goal, this is my desire, Paul said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. He says in verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after it that I may apprehend for that for which I am also apprehended for Christ Jesus or of Christ Jesus. Verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I haven't arrived. 
He said, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is saying, spiritually, I have not arrived. He said, I'm not content with where I am in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to know the Lord more than I've ever known Him. I want to love Him more than I've ever loved Him. I've not arrived at where I want to be spiritually. I press toward that mark. I, I forget those things which are behind and I press toward God's mark and what His calling is for my life. So that was the heart of Paul. But go to chapter 4 of Philippians. Chapter 4, verse number 11. Here Paul says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full, to be hungry, both to abound, to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Uh, you see here Paul, though in jail, uh, was content with what God had given to him. At times, he said, I, I was abased. At times, I suffered need, but I learned to be content. At times, I was abounding, and yet I was content with what God had given to me. Now, here's, here's where we have a problem sometimes. You see, sometimes we're content with our walk with God. And instead of pressing toward the mark, instead of seeking to be more what God wants us to be, we're content with that. But we're discontented with what God has provided us with. And so Paul had this right. He said, I'm not content with where I am with the Lord, but I'm content with what God has given unto me. And this contentment is such an important part of our life. This is what Paul said to Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, verse number 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's something the Hebrew Christians would have to learn. Their world was being rocked and content with Christ is what they must uh, seek. They must be content with, uh, with the Lord and not with what their possessions and things that they did not possess all around them. There's covetousness. There's contentment. Now go back to Hebrews 13 and verse number 5 again. The third word I want to give us is confidence. Confidence. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Confidence. In this confidence, there's confidence in God's provision. You see, the author here of Hebrews recognizes Christ was their provider. The Lord knew their needs. Just as He provided for the children of Israel in the wilderness, He would provide for their needs. We're to pray, give us this day our daily bread. I'll say to you, no matter what the future holds, God has promised to provide for you. I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging for bread. That's God's promise. That's the confidence that you can have in the Lord. Go with me. Keep your place here. Go with me to Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter 6. Here's the confidence that we can have in God's provision. In Matthew 6 verse 19 we read, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures 
in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. In other words, use what God has given to you to serve Him for eternity. When God blesses you, use it as a tool unto the Lord. Use it laying up treasures in heaven, investing in souls, investing in the lives of others. It says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where you put your treasure is where your heart is going to be. Now you read on, verse number 24, no man can serve two masters. You can't serve money and the Lord. Uh, he says, for either he had the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's an impossibility. You give your heart to money, you cannot serve the Lord. You give your heart to the Lord, you cannot serve money. Uh, again, money is not evil, it's a tool. It can be used of God for his glory. Now, you notice here the, the example that he gives in verse number 25. He says, therefore, I say unto you, take no thought. This means don't worry. Don't be anxious. Take no thought for your life. What you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on, is not life more than meat and the body than raiment. He says, Behold, the fowls of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? I, I was noticing some birds just outside our window here the other day. And uh, they were not gathering for the winter. And yet it was amazing in the dead of winter, uh, God has provided for them. Uh, they knew where their food would come from. He says, verse 27, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? Uh, I don't care how short you are, uh, how tall you are. You're not going to get any taller unless the Lord allows that. And Brother Matoya, you're full grown, okay? okay? So you can't worry about it. Uh, you're where God has designed for you to be. And verse number 28, And why take thought for thy raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Doesn't God do a good job clothing the lilies and the flowers? He does a wonderful job. And then the Lord goes on to describe, If God, verse 30, So clothe the grass of the field, which today is, tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? And there again, verse 31, take no thought, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things that the Gentiles seek for, your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. He said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. Here's simply what he's expressing. You put God first, and God will take care of you. Amen. You put the Lord, number one, in your life, and God will take care of you. He will provide just as he does for the birds, just as he does for the lilies. That's the emphasis. That's the confidence in God's provision. Now back in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, there's confidence in God's presence. This is so important. Uh, verse number 5, For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You see, my contentment should be in Christ. Your job could be taken away. Your possessions may fail. Uh, they rust. They decay. Thieves still. But what you have in Jesus can never be taken away from you. And in reality, only Christ can satisfy. 
the possessions of this world, the more you get, the more you're going to want. Uh, uh, one wealthy man was asked the question, how much would it take for you to be happy? He said, always one dollar more than I have. Uh, another was asked the question, when can you be content? He says, after I earn another million. Never content with what we have. Possessions will never content you. Uh, the pleasures of this world will never make you truly joyful or happy. But a relationship with Christ, that's where joy will lie. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands, as the song says. I'd rather have Jesus than power and wealth untold. Uh, a relationship with Christ can never be taken away. Those that have Jesus tonight can never lose Jesus. I don't know what's going to happen in our nation. We could lose freedoms. We could lose liberty. We may lose possessions. But if you're saved tonight, we can never lose Jesus. Never lose him. If you're saved, you are secure. Friend, I believe that eternal life is eternal life. The Bible says that those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ have, hath, right now, present tense, eternal life. And if the Lord gives you eternal life, it's eternal. He, he won't give it to you and then take it away from you. You see, if you're in Christ, you are kept by His power. You are sealed in His blood. You're sealed by God the Father. You're sealed by God the Son. You're sealed by God the Holy Spirit, never to be taken away from you. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Paul could write this from a prison house that the Lord would never uh, go away from him. No matter what happens in this world, I have Christ. I have that confidence. I have the confidence he won't leave me or go away from me. Now look at verse 6, Hebrews 13. I can have confidence in God's protection. He said that we might boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. As Romans chapter 8 verse 31 states, If God be for us, who can be against us? So that we may boldly say, friends, that is confidence tonight. The Lord is my helper. There's not a better helper than the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not another one that I'd rather put my confidence in than in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the friends that God has given to us here at Valley Bible Baptist Church. I'm so thankful for this church. I'm thankful for the people. But ultimately, our confidence is not in each other. I preached this morning uh, about uh, uh, the future and what the future would hold. And our confidence cannot be in a preacher. Our confidence must be in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Others may steal from me, but I have nothing to fear. Men may lie about me. They may gossip and tear apart my reputation, but I have nothing to fear. Men may take my freedom, and as Paul experienced, cast me into prison, but I have nothing to fear because my confidence is not in man. My confidence is in God. My confidence is not in possessions. My confidence is in God. My confidence is not in a retirement. That could be taken away. My confidence is in God. And so if our confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ, my friend, then we have nothing to fear. Uh, a world that's being shaken. If you go back into history, there were many times in history where the economy was shaken, where the world was shaken. Uh, those that anchored in Christ 
had a solid foundation never taken away from them. So these three important words. Avoid covetousness. Beware. Uh, seek contentment with Christ. Have confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you'll build on those three principles, then, friend, you will succeed no matter what happens around you. I'd like us to bow our heads this evening.